Good morning and welcome to the Lakers Lowdown. I'm Anthony Irwin. Today on the show, the Lakers picked up an absolutely huge win against the Golden State Warriors, making up for the loss Friday night against the Minnesota Timberwolves. As I am recording right now, the Clippers and Memphis Grizzlies have not tipped off yet. Uh, we'll see how that game plays out or whatever. If the Clippers somehow find a way to lose to a Grizzlies team that is missing half of its rotation, they and the Lakers would be tied in the loss column. And who boy, I might have to record an emergency episode if that happens. Probably not. Wouldn't bet on it. But oh, could you imagine? Let's not get ahead of ourselves, though, and let's enjoy this win again absolutely huge for the Lakers to beat the Golden State Warriors 113 to 105 at home in Steph Curry's return uh, Steph was on a minutes restriction and all of that so you know there's your disclaimer if you want to, to if you want to have a disclaimer on this win but you know the Lakers still playing without without D'Angelo Russell still playing obviously without LeBron James who is having the time of his life on a scooter <laughs> so the scooter is, is, is a real storyline to the season. Uh, but the Lakers go out and they win 113 to 105. Uh, you cannot talk about this game in any real way without bringing up Anthony Davis. Holy crap. 38 minutes he played, 14 of 25 from the field, 1 of 3 from, from three-point range, 10 of 13 from the free throw line. That's the part that I'm going to hammer home here in a second. He finishes the game with 39 points, 8 rebounds, 6 assists, 2 blocks, a plus 17 on the night. And and honestly, the plus 17 kind of sells some of it short. The Lakers were useless without him out there. Uh, Mobama went down with his own ankle injury, adding to the litany of such dings that the Lakers have suffered over the last few days. Can we just get some decent shoes? Like, what's what the hell? Um, but back to AD... I think Draymond defends AD better than everybody else in the league. Not as well as, but better than everybody else in the league. He has that low center of gravity. He's impossible to move. Refs, refs look the other way with a lot of stuff because he's developed the uh, reputation of being a great defender and therefore gets away with a little bit more. He moves his feet really well. He just He just bothers AD, generally speaking. And... Uh, I thought in in this one, AD, uh, no matter who was guarding him, was not just, you know, brilliant statistically, but I I also thought smart. I thought uh, he was he was smart and he didn't really back down to situations and and some some uh, counters that the Warriors were throwing at him. I thought that he found a really good balance at sometimes against uh, the Warriors. And against Draymond, because Draymond is 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 a really kind of cerebral defender, we we've seen what uh, we just saw the other day what Draymond said about guarding Russ that if you back off these pros, these Hall of Famers who aren't used to having open looks, it kind of gets into their own head, and and you start to kind of self question, and, and and we've seen him do that to AD, especially in the the last few seasons when AD's shot has really kind of failed him. But I thought in this one, instead of just kind of taking that jumper over and over and over again and banging his head up against the wall, I really liked the way that AD took it upon himself to 
not just, you know, he did a shoot the occasional one and, and, and his shot was looking pretty good uh, in this game. But I thought way more importantly than knocking down the occasional outside jumper, he got to the free throw line. 10 of 13 from, from, from that stripe. And the 13 attempts, great. Obviously, the 10 makes, also great. But it just really kind of sets a tone for the rest of his game. And I think that's the case for him. Uh, I think that Giannis's best games almost always coincide with shooting particularly well from the three-point line. Uh, with players like that who kind of go through stretches where they don't trust their jumper, getting to that free throw line and seeing the ball go through the net and getting that kind of uh, muscle repetition and muscle memory really going on what a good release, you know, coming off of the fingers and good rhythm in your shot looks like and feels like. Um, getting to that free throw line is huge for for players like AD and Giannis. And, and in this one, he got there plenty, made his shots when he got there, and I think that lent itself to a lot of confidence elsewhere on the court. And, you know, if you're talking about ways, if you're trying to find ways that the Lakers can stay afloat while they wait for LeBron uh, to to get off of uh, the, the DL and and get off of his his scooter time. Yeah, this it's it's going to look like this from AD, not just the, the totals, the statistical totals, but 38 minutes, um, the defense that he played. It was just a, a masterclass from AD against a team that has historically given him problems. I, I think I, I saw a stat uh, on on uh, Twitter, and I'm pretty sure is correct. But heading into this one, AD was something like two and twenty eight or, or something like that against Steph in in the previous thirty or so, and uh, in in you know it kind of makes sense. One, the Warriors are almost always really good, and then two, uh. You know, Draymond plays him really well, and I thought picking up this win in this moment coming off of the loss that they had Friday was an absolutely huge win for them, getting back on schedule so they can stay at least 500 here um, while LeBron is out. Also important, uh, I think the Lakers, I think this is going to be a trend here moving forward so long as they build out their roster this way is you know, playing at home is really going to matter. They wind up shooting 11 of 33 from uh, the three-point line. That's good for 33%. Uh, now, the Warriors did outscore them from three-point range. They shot 18 of 52. Uh, but you can overcome that, like, you know, you can, you know, tighten up that gap. And and I thought the Lakers, look, they started out great, obviously. They held at one point to 20-point lead. That obviously goes basically completely away in the second quarter. And uh, from then on, it was really just kind of back and forth for the rest of the game. And I thought one really important part of the Lakers' success uh, was was their, their ability to knock down three-point shots. You look at the guys who you kind of rely on to, to hit threes. Uh, starting with Troy Brown Jr., he goes four of seven from three-point range. That was monstrous. Austin Reeves went three of five. Malik Beasley, uh, the the Warriors really kind of keyed in on Beasley. They did not want him to get comfortable at all. Um, it was pretty clear based on how they were guarding the Lakers. They you know wanted AD to try to beat them from the outside, 
Um, and you know, he didn't take that bait and they really kind of focused in on not letting Beasley get going. And honestly, it makes sense. You know, Beasley is a hugely important part of the Lakers offense. I think the Lakers this season, uh, so long as he is on the roster are going to look their best when Beasley is really, you know, hitting from the outside, uh, and hit, you know, shooting and hitting from the outside, like four attempts from three point range isn't enough, but I think that was a, a, concerted effort on the part of Golden State to run him off the three-point line, nudge him coming off of screens, not make him comfortable at all on the catch. And, you know, this is what it looks like. Now, you know, fortunately, uh, this is the nice thing about having somebody like Beasley, but that amount of effort that goes into guarding him that way and running him off the three-point line, not letting him get into any kind of rhythm... That's going to open stuff up for for everybody else. And in this case, I thought that just a, a little additional space here and there was was really important for AD on a night that he goes for, you know, 39 points. Um, I don't think it's a coincidence. You look at the plus minuses here on the night, and I'll talk about Jared Vanderbilt next, but uh, Vanderbilt led the way plus 25. But you look at AD plus 17. Yeah, that, that tracks. And then right behind AD was was Malik Beasley at a plus 16. And I think that has a lot to do with the the gravity that is created by Golden State defending him the way that they felt like they had to, to, to guard him. Now, Vanderbilt, holy crap, dude. Like this guy, he's going to be one of the absolute best contracts in the league next year. He's signed to under a $5 million deal. I wouldn't be surprised if he triples that. Uh, in the following off season, so long as he stays healthy, but absolutely huge night here from Jared Vanderbilt, um, where he goes only plays 24 minutes, which I, I found kind of odd, but he finishes with 10 points, 13 boards, four assists and a steal, uh, five eleven from, from the field, uh, Oh, of two from three point range, but that's kind of, he's not a shooter. So that doesn't exactly shock me. But a lot of the small things, and you know, one thing that I'm really kind of curious what that might look like, uh, what this might look like against the Warriors and against you know teams with elite offensive players. I think those are going to be the nights that Vanderbilt, like maybe the stat line doesn't necessarily show it, and you know, a double double efficient shooting. That's that's about as much as you can ask for statistically from Jared Vanderbilt. But against really good offensive teams. It wouldn't shock me at all for Jared Vanderbilt to be one of the higher rated players in terms of net rating on the Lakers because he is that pivotal to what the Lakers are trying to do defensively. He moves his feet really well on the perimeter. He's obviously super long, crazy athletic. He's almost a you know prototypical modern defender. And against a team like the Warriors who can beat you in, in as many ways as they can, he is absolutely critical. And, and, and by the way, him, you know, playing that way and, and defending the way that he can against a Warriors team that isn't a perfect matchup for him. They don't have a wing that you say like, all right, go, go take that wing out of his comfort zone in the way that you would with like Kawhi or Luka or Ingram or whatever. Um, it's Jordan Poole. It's Steph. Those are two guys that are not, you know, perfect mat- matchups for him. It's uh, Clay Thompson, who also isn't a, a perfect matchup. He's kind of a, you know, on a night like tonight, he becomes more of a connective defender. And, and you know, it's also a really good role for him. It's a, it's a good way for uh, him to 
utilize those physical tools that he has. But uh, yeah, this is this is a a incredible pickup um, and one that I I I'd been like crossing my fingers. I was honestly shy to even hope for Vanderbilt in in a Russ re- trade. Um, they, I I, <laughs> I didn't want to get ahead of myself because I thought he would be with the contract that he's on and the type of player that he is. I didn't think in in a million years he would be available, and turns out he was. And the Lakers um, are significantly better with him on the roster. All the stuff I was saying about Beasley, I think we also need to extend to Troy Brown Jr. Um, there was a really weird stretch earlier this year that he kind of fell out of the rotation. And, and as that was going on, I was just kind of thought like he's the closest thing that the Lakers have to a three and D wing. Now, obviously he's not a full on wing. He's only, I believe six, four, six, five or so, maybe six, six. Um, but still that's bigger than the six, two three and D wing that they were hoping Patrick Beverly would be. Uh, and, and I thought, you know, it was weird to me that, of the players that they had, he was kind of the closest thing that they had at the time before they made the Russell Westbrook trade uh, to filling that role. And when he found himself out of the rotation and then occasionally would kind of step into a game and he would play and I would just say, why is this guy not playing more? Um, and, And I think he has now become a pivotal part of the rotation at this stage of the season. Um, I think I saw that, you know, over the first 30 games of, of the season, he was kind of a 30% three-point shooter. Uh, over the last 29 games that the Lakers, I guess, have played with him out there, he's shooting 40% from three-point range. So, yeah, if if he and Beasley are able to hit and bend defenses, if the Lakers can somehow get healthy um, and you get the spacing that D'Angelo Russell provides and you get LeBron out there and his ability to bend de- defenses— this could be, you know, maybe not this season I because of uh, the injuries that they're dealing with. And again, can we get like ankle braces? Can we get can we get some tape? Can we get some prayers? Like, do we need to spray some holy water on their socks? Like, I don't know what's going on here. But uh, but if the Lakers can get healthy um, and if they keep this group together heading into next season, that kind of core that that Russell Brown and I don't I, he might have played himself out of the Lakers price range next year we'll see but uh, he's only 23 so I could see some team you know going out of their way to see if they can build on the, the momentum that he has in his career right now but if the Lakers can go with you know Russell and Reeves and Beasley and Brown and you know LeBron AD and Vanderbilt like that's that's the beginnings of of a contending core and you know depending on the combinations that you throw out there that could really be a group that is almost impossible to defend Uh, I just hope we get to see it again because when we did see it before everybody's ankles and feet started breaking it was great it looked great it (laughs) it ignited uh, a passion for basketball that I haven't felt in you know two years and however many days and minutes or whatever since they traded for Russ this was this this was a, a a group that kind of fit in the modern concept of basketball, and I think Troy Brown Jr. is is a big part of that. Tonight shoots the way that he does, defends the way that he does with with Clay, and yeah, he's he sh- he should never have been out of the rotation. It's and and they are now a a a better team that he's a part of it here moving forward. Now, uh, 
I don't even know how we're supposed to talk about this. When Russell initially hurt his ankle, uh, the Lakers said that they didn't. They ran uh, a, a an X-ray, and that came back negative. There was nothing structural that they could see in terms of bones that that concerned them. They didn't run an MRI because they didn't think it was a serious injury. And yet D'Angelo Russell hasn't played now in more than a week. Uh, he was supposed to make his return against Minnesota, did not do that. You figured, okay, for sure, he's going to be back a couple days later against uh, the Warriors. He was not. So, I, again, you know, because of the way that the Lakers handle information regarding injuries, we're just kind of forced to speculate here. And it feels like, like look, um, I'm, again, not a doctor or whatever, but I, when you have an MRI machine readily available, maybe using it uh, for the sake of, of transparency, or for the sake of peace of mind, seems to be the logical move there, unless there's some like medical reason not to do it or whatever. But, but yeah, I, I just... It was weird to me that they didn't run an MRI there. It was weird to me that they threw him kind of to the sharks saying that, yeah, this isn't a serious injury. Um, now everybody's kind of wondering like, oh, is it, a, is, a, is it a physical toughness thing? Is it, what's the deal here? We're all forced to, to speculate because we aren't getting any kind of transparency from the Lakers on this subject. And yeah, I, I hope that he gets back soon. I think the Lakers really need him back. Uh you know, to, to allow Struder to move to his more natural role to offer up a little bit more spacing with that starting group. Um, I think he and AD developing some chemistry is important, not just for this season, but moving forward as I think they might be two really kind of centerpieces of what the Lakers might look like here moving forward. Um, I, yeah, I, it's, it's a real bummer that, that Russell hasn't been available. It's, I think an even bigger bummer that, because of the way that the Lakers have handled this information. Uh, and this isn't a clutch thing. Like he's the, I have said in the past that I'm, I'm not particularly thrilled with how clutch handles inf injury information, but this is strictly Lakers. This is the Lakers just kind of uh, not caring to like Darvin Ham says that he's heading in the right direction and that he's doing everything that he can to get back out, out onto the court. And like, yeah, that's, that's great but that's kind of the bare minimum that we were hoping to hear here. There's nothing else. Like you guys haven't run additional tests to see why he is now not available a week after he was supposed to make his return. What, what is going on? Um, so uh, maybe we'll get more clarity on that or more ideally, maybe we'll just see him back out onto the court and we'll be able to move past this. This is where things get kind of interesting here. The Lakers obviously uh, play against Memphis Tuesday night. Again, you know, Ja Morant isn't going to be available. Brandon Clark, uh, is his season is over. Uh, Steven Adams doesn't appear on his way back any, any real time soon. So this feels like a game that, you know, you, you hope that the Lakers are able to win um, at home against a a Memphis team that is really reeling from the situation that John Morant has put them in. Um, I, I'm not going to really touch the John Morant thing. It's it's not a team that I cover. I just honestly, all I'm going to say is I, I really hope that somebody gets to him and and is able to kind of 
you know, knock some sense into him and say, like, this is not a path that you want to head down um, without having to. Like, this is this is a completely unforced error. And yeah, this is this is not a a a storyline that we should have to deal with right now. And it's been kind of a bummer to see Memphis like really reluctant to speak on it in any definitive terms because superstars have so much power over their organizations. But yeah, at some point here and and now, you know, they were saying that um, initially he was going to be suspended for at least two games. And uh, now, you know, they're, they're still calling it an, an indefinite suspension here for, for John Morant. He clearly has some shit he has to figure out. I hope he's able to, uh, this whole thing is just, it's really stupid. It's really sad. Um, but yeah, Going back to the Lakers' schedule here, looking ahead, Memphis feels like a game that they can win. Toronto has been up and down, but mostly down this year. Um, New York is playing great basketball, so that'll be a tough one. Uh, But then New Orleans has been up and down, but mostly bad this year. Houston is terrible. Dallas is still trying to figure out how to get like a stop since they traded for uh, Kyrie Irving. Orlando is tanking. And then you get to, to Phoenix, which is March 22nd, and that's the last game in this 10-game stretch that that uh, you're hoping to stay afloat with. And there are some games that you can feel pretty confident about. I think, you know, it's realistic to, to hope that the Lakers can win of their next eight games. Can they win six of them? You know, can, can you, uh, of their next games, uh, eight games, can you win what? five of them like I, I think that's that's perfectly reasonable four at worst but I think you know given what the Lakers are, are trying to do here uh, given what they need to do here and again given what they're capable of I think it's fair to kind of hope if not maybe expect five and three maybe even six and two we'll see what this looks like uh but but you know first things first you got to take care of business in the in the on the team that they play right away on Tuesday and, and, and hope that you continue to get some help from say those same Memphis Grizzlies as they play a Clippers team that, you know, hasn't won since they brought in a player. I, I just, I can't one day I'll remember the acquisition that they made the Clippers before they went on this losing streak. I, I Gosh, I can't believe I'm I'm drawing a blank there. All right, that is going to do it here for this episode of the Lakers Lowdown Podcast. Uh, hoping to have more to tell you guys this week as far as what comes next when I'll get back to being able to talk to other human beings about this really fascinating team. Um, hopefully, that's sooner rather than later. As of right now, all I can continue to say is that there are options on the table. And I am still waiting to, to officially get the keys to this feed to be able to take that next step. Um, but until I have more on that front, and until I talk to you guys next, I'm Anthony Irwin saying have a good one.